Welcome to the latest episode of the Proof of Delivery cast, talking about all things supply chain and technology to help visionaries like you gain unprecedented insight, foresight, and oversight into your operations and the industry as a whole. We're talking with the who's who of supply chain from around the world about the latest trends, technologies, and tips to help illuminate the hidden potential in every link of your supply chain. Now, here are your hosts, Mike Allen and Caitlin Mercier. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the latest edition of the podcast, the uh, POD cast with Rutik. We've got a, a, a pretty cool topic today, one near and dear to my heart and, and uh, brings my inner child out. It's uh, We're talking robots, finally. This is our... Uh, our first big foray into uh, robotics and automation, and we're uh, going to be talking to Luke Buckborough from uh, the Rubik, which is uh, another Canadian company that is uh, is currently tearing it up in the robotics space and learning a little bit more about what they do and the use cases they uh, they solve, and, and in broader terms, just uh, a really cool guy with a really great take on uh, on the industry and, and progress and technology and where things are going. So excited to kick things off, and uh, we'll get started right away. Welcome, Luke. It's uh, it's fantastic to have you on. Yeah, no, thanks so much, guys. Super excited to be here. Yeah, this is going to be, uh, I've been waiting for this for a while, right? Like, <laughs> finally, like, <laughs> we've talked AI, we've talked machine learning, we've talked blockchain, we've, we've talked some pretty cool tech, but, uh, I, you know, robots is one of those, like, you know, inner child come to life. So I'm pretty excited about this discussion. I think it's going to be cool. The same thing for me when I uh, first called mom and said, hey, mom, I think I'm going to run a robotic company. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, I've done a lot, fintech, prop tech, a lot of other stuff, but, you know, now I'm, I'm in hardware and with a 14-foot tall robot. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. Absolutely. No kidding. Well, uh, Luke, why don't you kick us off with a little bit of background about Rubik? Uh, yeah, I'm going to throw you guys a rebound question, actually, just to get a little icebreaker going. But what do you guys love about humans? And it can be as vague as a question, a sentence, a one-word answer. Just really would love to know what you guys think of that, that, that statement. Yeah, I mean, I'll start it off, I guess. I mean, you know, the, the the human side of the equation is is a big chunk of, you know, why I do everything I do, including business. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a people guy and a conversation guy. And, uh, you know, the heart and the, and the soul is is what, you know, makes people people. And, uh, and, and it, it's also, you know, it's our biggest strength and our biggest weakness, right? Our Achilles heels, we're all we're all different. And we're all unique. And we don't ever do things the same way or see things the same way. And, you know, so there's the the automation side we're talking about today has some, you know, amazing abilities to really standardize and systematize things, but uh, you don't ever want to take the the people out of the equation because that's what makes things fun. I love it. Oh yeah. No, I think, uh, you know, I think, I think for me, it's, it's really problem solving. And so, um, you know, every, every day, just, you know, seeing, seeing for each problem that there's so many different solutions. And so I think that's, I mean, that's what makes it so interesting what we're, what we're doing. And so any conversation about robotics, of course, um, you know, I, I think it's more about, um, you know, what, what can those type of solutions do to empower people to continue pro- solving those problems? Love it. I, I, I'll give you mine quickly on the on the more, I guess, qualitative side, outside of the conversation. I love that, you know, we are all beings that try to be perfect, but we never will be. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's that it's that chase to perfection that I think makes us all human, but also really, really good humans. But now kind of getting back to the, the nitty gritty here and the good stuff, you know, 
when we're talking about my company, you know, I'll give you a little basis. We're a warehouse automation provider. Um, we, we are building a future where robots seamlessly integrate into a wide variety of diverse operations, taking on the roles and the inherent flexibility and adaptability that humans possess, transcending the limitations of traditional automation. And when I'm going to go back to my first two words there, flexibility and adaptability. What we love about human beings in the warehouse space and logistics and you know, fulfillment is that we're flexible. We're adaptable. We can alter in different environments. If something bad happens, we assess, we diagnose, and we solve. Now, um, I'm going to trademark this one day, so don't take it from me, but <laughs> robotics are too robotic. <laughs> um, you know What we love about robots is that if you give them the path and the environment to do something, they can do it in a perfect manner, way faster, way more efficient, and at the end of the day, cheaper than a human can. Problem is, is that all automation stops there. Why? Because if anything is to happen, if there's any diversity, if there's any you know, multiple set of boxes or, or complexities, robots fail because they just don't have the same kind of process, uh, processing capabilities as, as humans do. So what the Rubik really set out to do from, from early on was, okay, yes, there's, there's multiple amount of solutions. There's a bunch of different you know, styles, AMRs, ASRS, all, all these different you know, kind of acronyms, but none of them really inherently have the two most fundamental traits required to function in warehousing and supply chain, and that is flexibility and adaptability. So we wanted to develop a system that effortlessly not only integrated into ongoing operations, taking on demand day one, so true plug and play fashion, but also the ability to say, okay, you know, that box isn't supposed to be there, or that box isn't perfectly aligned millimetrically. It's okay. Let, let me assess. Let, let me take a step back and let me go and do my job. So, uh, you know, at, at, at a high level, we're a robotics company, but at a really, really deep level, what we want to offer is something not offered on the market before. And that is truly the ability to act human and perform robotic. Yeah, that's a very cool premise. I mean, you know, anybody uh, like we're obviously familiar with an awful lot of different uh, clients, you know, entire environments and ecosystems, not just the warehouses. And, you know, if you're counting on things being perfect, you're in trouble on day one, right? I mean, that's the first thing you learn is is it's like a restaurant, right? You don't necessarily want to see what's going on in the kitchen at any given time. <laughs> it, might, it might look perfectly orchestrated from the from the front of house, but from the back of house, it's organized chaos. So uh, I think that's a really smart idea is to sort of lean into that and go, we're not going to have a perfect environment. We have to be uh, adaptable. I think that's great. Yeah. I, uh, I love that restaurant line. I'm going to take that from you. I think that's great. <laughs> I, I'm trademarking that one too. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're going to be in an all work. Yeah. But you're so right because, you know, when the dish arrives at the table, it looks perfect. You know, they've even wiped mm -hmm. off the little crumbs and such. But behind the kitchen, I mean, supply chain is the largest industrial ecosystem in the world. And it involves every person, every continent. It involves everything. And for people like you and I and people listening, you know, when you order that shirt, it just arrives at your door. Mm -hmm. Oh, how great is that? But there's so many different processes that happen from A to Z. And it's anywhere from the Vietnamese farmer that picked the grain that turned into fabric, or it's the dyer in India, or it's the you know pilot from DHL. There's so many different moving parts to it. And you're right, perfection is unattainable. So why hasn't there been something provided to the market that can kind of assess that perfection? Totally. Yeah. I think it was, the, I think it's Einstein. I can't remember who said that, but it was like the ge genius is making the complex look simple, right? It's like, it's not trying to look smart. It's trying to make it look easy. And, uh, you know, that, that, that is the challenge is to, you know, take that iceberg that's, you know, it's just a mess underneath and make it look from 
the end user customer point of view, like it's, it was all meant to be. And, and uh, it's definitely not as easy as it seems for sure. Yeah. And I think that's, what's so like, just interesting about this solution, because before we met, I think I would have, you know, a lot of the partners that we work with and a lot of the facilities that we work in, I probably would have said like, no way, not ready for any sort of solution like this, just because things aren't perfect yet. In some cases, they're, you know, partway through an implementation of a new solution, or, you know, it's sort of rolled out over here, or they don't have standardized sort of racking or equipment yet. And so I think, like, for me, anyways, I wouldn't have expected there would be a solution for, you know, for the imperfect facility or the imperfect business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably a good segue, actually, because there's, you know, there's lots of, uh, of, of companies in the market that are tackling the automation sort of space from different angles. And, uh, you know, we're, we, we've got some, you know, contacts in the industry and we've seen some other solutions out there. And what, what I thought was pretty cool when we, when we saw what you guys were doing was it strikes me how different it is than a lot of the solutions out there. Um, you know, both in, in the application and, and in the, the methodology and the way you're doing it, like maybe just kind of tackle that a little bit, like where you fit in the space and, and why you went the direction that you did, as opposed to, uh, you know, a lot of the sort of high-based like e-commerce fulfillment type solutions because uh, I, I I was quite intrigued by how different you guys were. For sure. I mean, I, I'll start this off with something that if you wanted to adapt the majority of systems that are offered on the market today, you'd have to go back, you know, a million years ago and have them be ready then. Why? Because to your point, the imperfect, but let, let's segment it in two words that everyone will understand on this, on this call. Greenfield, brownfield. So, you know, robots thrive in Greenfield. Amazon's famous for having Amazon robotic facilities that are perfectly, you know, laid out for the robots to thrive. Then you have Brownfield. And for anyone who doesn't understand what that means, that's an ongoing operation. It's been around 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Let me tell you what happens in Brownfield facilities. Not perfection. I'm talking the floors are on level. I'm talking racking mm-hmm. could be damaged. I'm talking, you know, you could have different heights at, at different points. You could have, you know, so many different things happening. But really, the problem is going to my, my first point here, Mike, the solutions on the market today assess a situation once everything is cleared out. So, hey, get rid of all your racking right now. Hey, get rid of all your uh, your boxes right now. Hey, get rid of your flooring. And then we can come in and we can, you know, automate. Whereas what we wanted to do is we said, we don't care about your flooring. We want to say, we don't care about your racking. We want to say, we don't care about your box sizes or weights. I'll give you guys a real example. So we're the first system that will utilize suction-based picking. Um, you know, we have a unique arm design that allows us to place boxes in a triple deep fashion. What does that mean? Three boxes back. So. What do we love about hive systems or cube systems like an Atabotic or an auto store? Pound for pound, some of the greatest spend sensification, space sensification out there. Why? It, it packs centimeter to centimeter. What are the problems with them? Well, be a long list, but the first one is they're incredibly expensive. And, you know, in most of the time in the ongoing operations of e-com or fulfillment, you know, they are so tightly marginized right now in terms of their margins. 65% of their cost just goes to labor. That doesn't, you know, take in the increased rent that's gone up 36% in Canada in the last year. That doesn't take into account, you know, any type of disruptive time from not having the client reach, you know, the end fulfillment uh, in the right manner. But at the end of the day, for us, what we wanted to do was we wanted to not go into the style of a hive system. You know, did we have ideas and how we can make them better, faster, cheaper? Of course. But then you got into the problem of scalability and flexibility. So for a lot of these fulfillment centers, you know, peak season from September to December, they 10x their labor because of Black Friday, because of Christmas, because of all the holidays during that time. 
the second you put in a system like an ASRS or a, you know a Hive or a Cube, it's there forever. You mm-hmm. can't add to it. You can't take away from it. Whereas with a mobile platform like ours, if you need six more during the month of December, we'll ship you six more. And we we, we actually saw that you know become really successful with LocustBot. You know, hey guys, we can manage the peak and we can also take away during the down. Mm-hmm. What we really wanted to do more than anything, though, is we wanted to provide the same level of efficiency as a human, but even better. Um, so, for example, you know, we can move 150 to 200 boxes an hour. And how we're able to do that? Well, we have a system called the zero gravity system. It's way too complicated to explain on the call. But essentially what it <laughs> allows us to do is we move 30 feet in three seconds with a 90-pound package. Um, not only that, though, but with that 90-pound package, we have our floor stabilization system. We wanted to offer the entire industry a product, not just, you know, 50 pound boxes or e-com or healthcare. We want to offer manufacturing and interlogistics, automotive, aviation, you know, more importantly, defense markets. Our roots are Canadian and we're proud of that. You know, most of the time, this style of innovation, this level of engineering and truly this style of product comes from China. And we won't shy away, shy away from that fact. It's true. Our biggest competitors or I say cousins in the space, high robotics, Quicktron and Geek Plus are all Chinese rooted. Mm-hmm. And for us, it's a real opportunity to kind of cut off that foreign reliance we have on foreign automation uh, and really provide something that not only is better fundamentally from an engineering perspective, but also a quality perspective. You know, their idea is build it cheap, build it quick, build it fast, and make a bunch of money in the process. But the last thing we wanted to take on was kind of the maintenance of robotic systems. I've been in a few software companies throughout my time. I sold incredibly high-level, valuable software that really dropped its ball on on maintenance and IT. And then I sold mid-level, you know, okay, yeah, there's some value here, but they were really easy to service. They were really easy to maintain. They weren't expensive. And nine out of 10 times, my customers bought the medium-level stuff because they knew it worked from principle. And if anything went wrong, it was easy to maintain. Mm -hmm. What we wanted to do was, I'll ask you both a question. I'm sure you both drive cars, right? You bet. Mm -hmm. Love it. What do those cars run on? An engine. Let's say I'm going to put a hypothetical scenario out here. You're on Deerfoot. Okay, you guys are both driving. You have a really, really important meeting to get to. All of a sudden, the car just breaks. You pull over to the side. You open. You open up the front, and and the engine's just smoking. You know it's the engine. What do you what What are you going to do in this scenario? Well, you call you know AAA, and they show up, and then they put you in the car, and then it takes four weeks to get your car back, and you have to miss that meeting, the disruptive time, you have to miss the other meeting. Kate, you call Mike, say Mike, I can't come into work today. Why? Oh, my car, my my renter's insurance hasn't come in yet. It's an absolute shit show, for lack mm-hmm. of better words. What if the way you maintain and service that car was you just had an extra engine in the back, and you walked around, you opened the trunk, you pulled it out, you swapped the old one in for the new one, you closed it. You Took, turn the keys and you drive back to that meeting. We black boxed all the electronics. Everything is easily accessible. Everything is pretty much there for you. You can have your employee day one already service our bot, not bring in expensive technicians, fly them mm-hmm. in, put them up for three weeks because disruptive time is really what matters here. Every yeah. minute mm-hmm. you don't get a package out, the customer's unhappy, the 3PL loses a contract and the vendor's looking somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very cool to have thought that out. I mean, <clears throat> two of the things, I mean, obviously the maintenance one is huge. Uh, downtime, even for more traditional gear like forklifts, people just don't necessarily account for the the huge, huge losses of even one piece of equipment being down temporarily. And uh, and um, 
you know, what, what you were saying in terms of greenfield brownfield, I think is, is such a key point. There's, you know, we see the same thing with, with fleets and, and warehouses is that the vast, vast, vast majority of facilities in market today are not the huge ones. They're not the massive floor prints. They're not completely modernized. We were talking about prior to the call about ceiling heights and those kind of things where, where you're working with imperfect facilities that exist and you're working with infrastructure that's already capitalized and, and already a sunk cost. And the last thing you necessarily want to do is, is go back and start tearing down buildings and rebuilding. So we we have a similar analog in the software space. It's like, how do we work with what we have? No, it, it's not an option to completely, you know, gut and start again. And so when most of the market is that fragmented, smaller, less sophisticated, older spaces, uh, you know, a, a solution that can work within those as opposed to saying, well, no, you really have to start again, you know, sort of from a from a clean slate is is uh, it, it might be cool to, if you if you have unlimited budgets, but even large companies, for the most part, uh, if you made that CapEx cost, that expense, uh, if if your name is on that line item, you're probably pretty reticent to go back and and start again. Uh, that can be a career limiting move. So having a solution that can you know, work in any of those environments, I think is is pretty cool. And then having the ability to, you know, to minimize that downtime too, because um, especially when you get used to huge efficiencies and then you have none <laughs> and you go immediately back to, uh, you know, the dark ages, that's, uh, that, that's uh, something that's difficult to plan for, for sure. Well, how long has Walmart been around? <laughs> how, how many DCs does Walmart have? They, you know, they yeah. might have five new ones mm -hmm. that are brand new, but they probably have 85 that are old all over the country. What are they going to do with the 85 that are older? They can't because they they don't have the time to, to transform or automate. They don't have a solution that can do it. So really, you know, I always laugh when people are like, oh, there's so many solutions out there. Yeah, there's solutions that fill the need for anything about five years or newer. Mm. But anything before that, you really got to put in the work and the time to be able to, to automate. And mm -hmm. automation is no longer this. I mean, you guys can definitely promote this in the software space, you know. Automation isn't as nice to have. It's like a requirement now. Mm -hmm. It's it's a must, you know, it's a must. Yeah, no, that's very cool. One of the other things that we were chatting about just when we were we were on site watching the 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 demo um was just how it's how this type of solution also just changes some, I guess, key assumptions that you make about some warehouse processes. So things like um, you know, I know we were sort of watching the process happen and going, well, when does the product get palletized? And so, but then, you know, at the end of the day, it's going, well, maybe that's not something that needs to happen anymore. So I just thought that was really interesting. It's like this this paradigm shift where we're not just trying to copy necessarily like how a human would have to handle that product, but just totally rethinking how you might set out um, those processes without necessarily needing to 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 adjust your your warehouse layout or your infrastructure that far off of of current. I love this point. Um, you know, it's funny enough, it's something that we didn't set out to do. <laughs> um, you know, it, we really, to be honest, the story of the company really is as grassroots as it gets. It started in a garage um, in about negative 40 degrees, which we all know what it feels like to be in a, a cement garage in Calgary. Funny enough, the first thing we did with a grant was we bought a, a Facebook marketplace heater and we fixed it up. And when I say <laughs> we, my my two other co-founders, Tim and Masood, are, are <laughs> Einstein level smart. Um, PhD in robotics, you know, mechatronics backgrounds, you know, early on GE innovators, the whole kit, kit and caboodle. But essentially, you know, we just wanted to build something really, really valuable. Um, it started with, let, let, let's build an arm. And we, we hooked it up to this wooden wall mount and it started to move. And we said, okay, if we, if we can get to that, what else could we do? And we said, oh crap, <laughs> we did it. <laughs> and then it was, oh, let's put it on like a, a, an AMR base and have it be able to you know navigate down aisles. Let's build our own AMR. 
you know, really when, when I get to say we are our OEM, it's really, really cool. And it's also something that we're very proud of. Nothing is copied. You know, mm-hmm. we didn't just look at, we, we didn't buy Betty Crocker and make the cake. We mm-hmm. bought the flour. We bought the eggs. We went to the grocery store. You know, we got certain components that we are just out of scope, but we, we put the cake recipe together ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was walking down Promat, um, which is a, a show in Chicago, and I was showing people like renderings of the bot. And they all thought it was an automated forklift. They didn't believe mm-hmm. that it was a case picking or a bot picking robot because it fundamentally looks different. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll give a little nudge to the fact that we're Canadian and, you know, we build things to last and we build things with quality, but also going back to the point, what was really cool is that as we started piloting and as we started speaking with our customers and understanding their processes, I, I'll say we work on a case level. What case level means for people that don't understand that is cardboard boxes and, and Mike, Caitlin, you guys have your own facility and you've been through a multiple of them. How many times you see a pallet arrive with cardboard boxes? every time right yeah mm-hmm. yeah 99 of all goods moved yes. are on a pallet mm-hmm. on a cardboard box mm-hmm. the problem with most automation is a lot of automation deals in you know again perfect environments with the same box size every time mm-hmm. you know, an automation tote or a bin because we work on a case level we can just immediately right as that pallet reaches the bay door put it away Yep. No more touching, no more opening, no more, you know, moving things around, having to wait for certain forklift operators to come and grab stuff. No, the second it arrives in your facility, go put it away. Not only that though, but the decanting process is something that was really interesting to kind of figure out. The time management when an order needs to be fulfilled is multiples of seconds every single time down to the wire. And it's because a lot of systems, AMRs traditionally, you know, an exotech system or, you know, styles of, of ASRSs that are more mobile, they can only move one box at a time where we can move nine and we mm-hmm. can move it at two meters per second. So we can actually just always match the level of throughput required inside of a facility and kind of, you know, break down the barriers of always having to be stressed in time management and maneuvering mm-hmm. boxes, bins, cases. We can do it all. No matter what you have, we'll move it. Yeah, that's very cool. What's next? What's next? <laughs> um, well, I mean, I feel like we've spoken to this, but we did have the question about just, you know, what really, what what do clients need to have in place? I mean, I think we've been spent a lot of time talking about what they don't need, which is, you know, quite a long list. But um, I mean, just as a recommendation, you know, what would be helpful um, as a foundation before implementing your solution? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I... I... I profess this idea of we can do anything, but obviously we're a robotic system. You know, there are some things that just are, are out of our scope. Um, you know, really what we would really love is you don't need to have this crazy, you know, multi-million dollar software system in order to, you know, navigate and kind of connect to your WMS, WS with the bot. We have an embedded FMS in our system and software. Um, we actually don't require integration. Um, it would be a little bit of an older style. You could basically hook up an Excel spreadsheet <laughs> on a USB and on an on-premise computer, and you can actually give the bot tasks to run throughout the day. But really, you know, from an angle of we just need we need a good operation that understands its processes, that understands its people. That's one thing I'd really like to bring up after this mm-hmm. question is kind of the the, the labor angle and, and the aspect of, oh, my God, we're, we're, we're going to ruin the world because we're getting rid of all our jobs. But for us, it's more about a, a, a culture fit than anything else. You know, we really want people that are willing to work with us. We are changing. Change is hard. We are providing something that looks new, that is new, that does something new. 
Um, so early on, what we really require from a perspective is, you know, some, some good flooring, some good racking, some great boxes and great people. Yeah. I, I, I love the idea of the, you know, we're, we're the similar again on the software side, right? It's everyone always goes, how long does it take to do this integration and that integration? We're like, the tech is never the timeline ever. It's the people, no, it's never. the change management. It's, uh, you know, asking anyone to do anything new. And the other thing I thought you really nailed was the, you know, the processes, right? It's, it's uh, sometimes automation of any kind, whether it's you know, software or hardware or hybrid solution is, is seen as a fix for a bad process as opposed to, uh, you know, uh, uh, scaling and improving a, a good process. So I, I think we're, we're very similar in the sense that we're going, okay, well, first of all, we need to make sure that the processes are correct and they're aligned and everything's is, is, is sort of functioning in the analog world the way it should. And then we can model that on the automated side. But, you know, if, if customers are trying to skip a step and go, you know, everything that we're doing is wrong and all of our processes are either non-existent or incorrect, uh, implement your system and make it all go away. Uh, that's a much more difficult task than, you know, us assisting them with making sure that, uh, you know, things are, are are smooth from the process side and then looking at the automation. So I, I think I think those two are that's actually a great segue into the uh, into the people side of things, because we have a similar, you know, our, our mantra has is, is always been, uh, you know, we, we want to create Iron Man, not Terminator. We're trying to augment people. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean, you know having them go down in a coal mine and, and, and get black lung where, where if there's a way to, if there's a way to remove uh, tasks that are dangerous or, or, or cumbersome or, or burdensome or just boring and awful. Uh, let's do that, but let's keep people for what people are good at. It kind of goes back to your initial point. So, um, you know, it sounds like you got some, some thoughts on the, on the, the, the harmonized kind of uh, environment between people and, and robotics as well. Oh, I have a, a mouthful for this because I just got approached at Ventures a few weeks ago with someone who apparently woke up on the wrong side of the bed that day and just came full-fledged, do you have a moral efficacy issue with this? And just went off for like five minutes about it. And, you know, going back to your point there, there's two segments to this, dangerous, boring. Those are the only two that matter. In between and, and beyond those, I could care less. But let's talk about dangerous for a second. So our bot reaches 33 feet high. So yes, are we going to be taking over the job position of someone who goes 30 feet high on a, a forklift or a pick truck harnessed in on a pallet, which by the way, has two foot holes on every increment of it that they could easily just fall through? Uh, yes, we will. Mm -hmm. I'm going to come out there, raise my hand, no problem. Why? Well, last year in North America alone, there was 35,000 serious, by the way, that's just serious accidents that happen inside warehouses. Because of those 35,000, there was 95 million lost workdays. Didn't know it was possible. I thought there was only 365. But lastly, also from a more kind of operations perspective, $84 million a week go out in insurance premium mm -hmm. payments directly, directly correlated to these accidents. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. A, super, super happy that we are going to make warehouses a safer place. We are going to make them safer. We are going to make people not do dangerous tasks. One. Two. Boring, repetitive. Chip Bop CEO at the Promat panel did a great job of explaining this. She said, one, it's because of us, guys. And I don't know if you guys understand where I'm going with that, but all the shirts we're wearing, those even the podcast microphones, we don't want to wait two weeks for it. When we mm -hmm. order it, we want it to show up the next day. And guess mm -hmm. how that happens? It doesn't happen when Larry calls in sick and can't show up to work. That doesn't happen when Larry decides, you know what, I'm done picking up the same style box 80 times an hour and I have to go home and I'm miserable. It doesn't happen. How does it happen? Well, my robot goes in and picks 150 an hour. 
That's how we reach same day level throughput or even next day level throughput. Um, then the second thing to that was, you know, I'm a millennial. I'm, I'm a total stereotype for this in a second. I want to feel fulfilled. I want to feel creative. Mm -hmm. I want to feel imaginative. I want to, I want to feel like I'm going and I'm changing the world. Guess what? That's a real thing. Um, I deal with more change management people at the moment with my pilot partners than I deal with operation engineers, than I deal with their, you know, executive team. Why? Because it's a really important thing to stress that we are getting rid of jobs that is hard to find. No one wants to work these jobs anymore. It's not like, it's not like one day the executive team woke up and said, oh, you know what? People piss me off today. Let's get rid of them. Mm -hmm. No, they woke up one day and said, wow, uh, we're going to lose this brand, this brand, this brand, because we can't get their boxes through fast enough because we just have a labor problem. There's mm -hmm. a real labor shortage going on in the world. But let me tell you, there's even a bigger labor shortage going on in warehousing and supply chain and the service industry. McDonald's just came out with a fully autonomous store in Texas, you know, and also from an optics perspective, if I had a son, I probably wouldn't be like, hey, Johnny boy, I want you to go into the service industry. I want mm -hmm. you to go pick up boxes off a shelf. You know, it, it's just this idea that, you know, Amazon deploys a thousand robots a day. And last time I checked, they're hiring thousands of people on Indeed. So it, it I mean, Either one scale is off or we're all being told a different story. Mm -hmm. So from my perspective on this, we are getting rid of not only dangerous jobs, but we are getting rid of jobs that are hard to find, hard to keep. And at the end of the day, no one wants to do them. Yeah. And you know, this gives an opportunity for, for companies. And, th and this is where I can't control what happens with the executive team. But I, I bet you money that the executive team of my pilot partner is saying, okay, what are we going to do with Jeremy once Rubik comes in? And I don't think they're going to say we're going to get rid of Jeremy. I think they're going to say, let's have Jeremy maintain the bot. Why? We want someone who's understood, who is you know deeply in, intertwined with this tech and who can go through the four-week training course that the Rubik will provide and they can manage it. They can, they can maintain it. They can service it. You know, and that's really – that's up to them. I can't promise that that's going to happen, but I, I give them the torch and they can carry it across the finish line. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And we, you know, we're, we're, I like the, you know, the training course idea is very cool. We're, we're sort of leaning into that with some of the micro creds where programs we're building with, uh, with some of our post-secondary partners. And we're, we're basically doing the same thing. We're going, okay, well, you know, that nobody's crying that we don't have enough farriers anymore or blacksmiths or wagon wheel repair <laughs> people, right? That, that was a big job at one time. There would have probably been hundreds and hundreds in, in Calgary at one point. Uh, it, it is not a major thing anymore. It's a very much a specialized niche thing. Um, but those people went elsewhere. They, tra they retrained, they used those skills, they adapted. And, and so I, I think it's, uh, it's cool that you guys are thinking uh, similar to, similarly to us is, is, you know, redeployment and, and not leaving those people behind, just, just enhancing their skill set. And I really like the idea of the, um, you know, the fulfillment side, right? Like in, not, not in terms of fulfilling packages, but fulfilling your life's purpose is, is, no. you know, people do need a purpose and, and uh, you know, there's some jobs just where it's just a lot harder to feel like you're making a difference. And, and, and if you can help those people, see a better way um, and, and, and have a path for them, right? Not just sort of oust them and go, now you're on your own, but like, how can we help you, um, you know, really sort of improve your quality of life at the same time as providing a, a service to, to the company and the organization and our customers that's actually more valuable than, you know, the physical labor that may be performed safer and, and better by a robot. So I think that's a very cool uh, kind of sentiment. Just 
we know a lot of a lot of team members in the warehouse who if if you think of we, we always talk about giving technology a job right like you're hiring it to do a job within within your team i think it's the same example here where i think teams are always happy to welcome new team members who can take on the things that they don't want to do so that they can focus on something else and so i really don't think that's any different if it's a person or if it's a a, a robot that you're welcoming to your team like i think lots of team members would love that because it's very clear the role that 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 bot's going to have and then like you said, it, it just allows them to focus on something a little bit different, right? Maybe becoming more of a process engineer within the warehouse versus actually being the one that has to do the task in the moment. Well, and how many people have, you know, aspirations, even even in a, in a nimble tech company like ours that, you know, well, when will I be managing a team? Well, you started Tuesday, so maybe give it a couple of weeks, right? But <laughs> I mean, you know, managing a, a robotic team is is not dissimilar from man managing a human team. It's like get some team members on your on your team that, you know, have uh, unlimited appetite to do physical labor and 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 all of a sudden you're free to make the bigger decisions and and uh, and have more autonomy and all that kind of thing. So I think it's quite cool. It's funny. I literally say bringing on my robot is like hiring John. Why? Yeah. You know, we, we ship it to you. There's a start date. We put it together inside your facility. We spend a couple days with it, walking it around the facility. In this case, we manually operate it you know it has a lidar system put in place it builds its own map for itself it understands mm -hmm. you know the heights and where boxes are we, we virtually scan the entire environment pre bringing it uh in the facility and for us it has a three-month probation period just the same way john nice was, you know and, and it, it's that whole idea that you know you're basically bringing on labor and to your point no one cares you know at this point if they see terminator iron man or john you know if it's getting a job done, it's getting a job done. You know, people have worked with robots for decades now. You know, look at the automotive space. I think the first robotic system to be deployed was like the early 50s mm -hmm. or like late 50s. You know, AI, for example, people think AI came out two years ago. Uh, 1956 is the first kind of documented, I'd say, you know, suggestive, you know, report around the effects and the, you know, diving into AI. So it's not like it's been around for a couple of weeks or years here. It's mm. been around for decades. It's been a part of our systems and life forever. And you know, a robot isn't just this thing you see moving. If you saw mine, you wouldn't think it's a robot. You actually think it's this really big metal shelf. Um, you know, look, look at a, a payment processing, uh, you know, a Helsium or something like that. That, that. To some degree, that's a robot. You know, mm -hmm. it has a software embedded inside of it. It performs a task and it, provides knowledge to a certain software in, 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 in turn. So, you know, robots have been around forever and this whole stigma around it is, is, is exciting for me to kind of walk through. It's exciting to talk to you guys about it and even more. So I want to give a little bit of a shout out. I didn't do it at the beginning, but you know, I love that we're speaking to two Calgarian companies. Yeah. Um, that is who would have, cool. who would have ever thought, I mean, I'll, I'll say this and get it out of the way. I'm from Toronto born and raised. So I'm, I'm what you call the center of the world in Canada. You know, we are the reason <laughs> everything good has happened. We are industry giants. We're Titans. Every other province survives because we do kind of thing. And wow, I, you know, I moved to Calgary about three years ago and I would just like to say, Toronto, you have your money coming for it. You know, we are coming, we are loud, proud. And I, when I really think about it, you know, not having been in an oil and gas rich province like Alberta is, when you really think about the mines and the innovation and the engineering, it didn't come from Saskatchewan or Vancouver or Toronto or, you know, the East Coast. It came from Alberta. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you why. There are mines that are no longer on this earth that could take a pole of metal, shove it in the ground, take liquid out of it and put it in our car. 
And I know I'm kind of, you know, not providing enough context into that whole <laughs> equation there. But at the end of the day, you know, m m the minds of my company in terms of the engineering and, and the technical aspects came from oil and gas. Mm -hmm. All yeah. they've done, all they've done is shifted industry. They haven't shifted principles of mechatronics or the principles of how to design, you know, certain features or, you know, the scientific hypothesis around what they're doing. Like they haven't changed anything. So that's something I really want to provide a little bit of a pat on the back for us as Albertans. And I guess me and an adoptive Albertan, this is where I believe everything will come from and, you know, Routique and Rubik and a two arts. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it really is going to be exciting to see where we go in the next few months, years, weeks, seconds, minutes, because, you know, every single day, this province just gets more spotlight, more street cred. And I think it's because of the minds like yourselves um, and also helping minds like mine come into the province and really understand just the ecosystem. It provides passionate, energetic individuals. Yeah, you bet. I mean, the the entrepreneurial mindset of those early oil and gas days with the, you know, the engineering and problem solving mindset, and then the depth of talent and infrastructure. And, you know, we were most head offices, most uh, post-secondary degrees, um, you know, the the most engineering talent, most computer science talent for, for quite a long time. I don't know where those stats are now, but uh, yeah, you know, that's, that's definitely, it's a great place. To, we've talked about this a lot within our ecosystem here. Of, it's a great place to, to, to build a base for this kind of thing. And, uh, and, you know, not to mention you have the mountains a few minutes away, which never hurts, but uh, yeah, it's, oh. it's very cool. There have been many a stressful days that end with driving out to Kananaskis and just sitting <laughs> out the roof. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we're out of time. Uh, any any final thoughts, Luke, Mike? I mean, for me, I just want to again thank you guys so much for having us and, and me on. Um, you know, we're 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 early in the sense of optics and exposure. We're pretty rich in how long we've been around. You know, the Rubik started in 2020. Um, I know that's not too crazy of a time for a fully viable, you know, commercial ready product at the level of, of features and components that we have to it. But, you know, we're really excited to be coming out of the garage, essentially, mm -hmm. you know, we're opening that door finally. Yes. And, you know, we're talking and we're, we're being loud and proud about what we've been able to accomplish, whether it gets excitement early on is, is here nor there. We're in this phase right now where we're excited. Uh, you know, we're raising money publicly for the first time. My, you know, it's no longer going to be bootstrapped, which <laughs> I think my other co-founder's hair will start to grow back. Um, <laughs> you know, so it, it's really exciting to be at this point. It's really exciting to be at this level. Um, you know, I'm on a plane every other week right now. It's it's a real whirlwind for, for personal and professionally. And, um, you know, I'm just really, really excited to kind of be telling the story as, as hopefully I did a good enough job with yeah, how complex was... it is. But um, yeah, so just thanks so much. And, you know, I, I'll say this, we have an open door policy here at the Rubik to anyone in the world, hop on a flight, come up to Calgary. We'll take you for a nice meal. We'll, we'll show you the mountains and we'll show you a really cool 14 foot tall bot that goes 33 feet high. Um, so if you're ever in the town and in the city, even if you're not in robotics, I always say like, I don't care if you're a nanny, come and see it. Cause you're a part of it. You're part of the story. It's in your backyard and you know, we're just, we're just excited to celebrate it. That's very cool. That's a nice sentence. We I always say we will talk to anyone who wants to talk to us, right? That's the 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 conversation opener of would you be interested in and taking 15 minutes? I'm like, yeah, if you want to talk to us, we'll talk to you. We're happy to share the story. And uh you just never know where that next little little gem of a partnership or a potential client or something is going to come from, right? So it uh it makes sense to tell it, you know, often and, and, uh, and frequently and, uh, and, and, you know, build the, build the grassroots uh, support that way. So that's very cool. 
Awesome. Well, yeah. thanks, Luke. Really appreciate uh, you joining us. What a awesome. great conversation. And uh, and uh, hopefully we'll have an opportunity to, to see the bot in action again. I know our whole team uh, really enjoyed that. So thanks for having us. Yeah. Can't wait for you guys to come check it out. We'll have a great week and uh, can't wait to see you guys soon. Yeah, sounds, sounds good. good. Thanks, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining us today. Make sure to check out future episodes of the Proof of Delivery cast, which come out every month. In the meantime, keep an eye on our YouTube channel for additional content throughout the month. If you'd like to learn more from Routique, you can find us on every major social media platform by searching Routique or the handle at Routique. Or feel free to chat with us directly by visiting www.routique.com. Routique gives supply chain visionaries the x-ray vision they need to make their companies more efficient, responsive, and profitable.